today I want to continue uh, taking a look at the message uh, of the Gospels that we've been doing during this Lenten season. And uh, a lot of it has been very strong stuff. I mean, where Jesus really makes it clear that just believing does not cut it in Christianity. People think, well, I believe that's all that it matters. You are delusional. It is not all that matters. Jesus wasn't going around just trying to get people to believe in some casual way and trying to convince people, please believe me, please believe me. If anything, we get the opposite picture from Jesus. He made it really tough on people. And he spoke to them in the strongest of terms. There is no way you could possibly read the Gospels and not come away with the impression that Jesus expects complete and total surrender in order to experience salvation. That's what he teaches. Sadly, in the Christian church, we haven't taught much of that. We've been in such a hurry to get as many people in church as we possibly can. We've dumbed down Christianity to just, just believe and that's all that really matters. No, 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 no. And it's been good for us to take a look at the Gospel and see what it says. Now we're in the Gospel of John. Now, John... It's interesting. Jesus, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, very similar. A little kind of different twist, but they all have that same kind of black and white, you know, approach to the message of Jesus. When you get to John, he very much puts a human face on Jesus and gives us some insight into how he processed and how he worked with people. And I don't know if he was trying to be comical in the way he recorded some of this stuff, but to me, it's hilarious. Because clearly, Jesus was messing with people's heads. And John talks about it and gives us some real detail into how he did this. Now, we read last week, we ended with the story where Jesus had come to a place where there were a bunch of sick people. And he looks over and he sees the Pharisees over there. And he just loved to irritate the Pharisees because he couldn't stand their religiosity. And it was a Sabbath day. And one of the rules they had, they had all kinds of rules on the Sabbath. You know, you couldn't make bricks or mud or you couldn't, you know, carry things. You could only take so many steps. And one of the rules is you couldn't carry your mat. You can't carry your mat, you filthy mat carrier. Okay? So they're making rules that Bible never even talked about. They just made stuff up because they were being a bunch of religious pinheads. Okay? Just making it even harder to serve God. So Jesus, he's there with all these sick people. They don't even know who he is. He sees the Pharisees, and right away he looks for someone who's carrying a mat because he wants to tick them off. And he sees this guy who has a mat, and he says, hey, would you like to get well? And the guy said, well, yeah. And Jesus will stand up and carry up your mat and, and walk. And miraculously, the guy all of a sudden got strength. He stood up. He did what he was told, picked up his mat, and, and started walking. And, of course, Jesus goes hides in the crowd just to see what's going to happen. Well, the Pharisees see him, and they just have a fit. How dare you carry your mat, you filthy mat carrier? And they don't care that he experienced a miracle. They were just crazy. And then, of course, they just have this big, it's very funny, how he messed with their heads. Well, now we're going to pick it up in, that was the fifth chapter of John. Now, this is the sixth chapter of John. Now, at the end of the fifth chapter, this is where Jesus feeds what, like 5,000 people with a, you know, a couple of loaves of bread. And they loved that. This is Jesus at his most popular. This is, he's at the zenith here, okay? You want people to like you, give them food. You know, that's all you got to do. Food's a big deal, and we love you. Feed us. I'm your friend, okay? So he does this great miracle. Everybody's jazzed. They're getting free food. And then it says here, it says, When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat. Now, he says they got into a boat. Matthew says Jesus forced them to get into the boat and take off without him, which was freaking them out. How are you? There's only the one boat. We got to get over there. How are you going to get here? Jesus said, just get in the boat and go. 
So they get into the boat and they set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing. The waters grew rough. Now this is creepy, okay? I don't know if you've ever been anywhere in, you know, far out where you're away from modern lights and stuff like that. But it gets really dark (laughs) at night when you get away from that stuff. I'll never forget, I was up in the Andes Mountains some years ago and, you know, a million miles away from anything. It's amazing. When it's dark, it's like, whoa, really dark. Well, this was like, like what it was like back then. They had no lights. There was nothing. You had the stars. Stars really get bright at night when there's no light. But, of course, there are no stars. The wind's blowing, you know, and there's a storm. It's late. I mean, they're rowing. They can barely get across the lake. It's creepy, okay? Then... Uh, as when they rode about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. Matthew says, he says they saw Jesus. Matthew says they didn't know who it was at first. They thought it was a ghost. So you can imagine how freaky this is. You're going like crazy. It's dark. You can't see anything. The water's black. You know, you're trying to just get to the other side. You can hardly get anywhere. You look, the lightning's flashing, and here's this dude walking on the water. And they're like, ah! I mean, they freak. They think it's a ghost. They don't know. It just totally creeps them out. And then finally, Jesus says uh, to them, uh, uh, he says to them, it's I. Don't be afraid. Easy for you to say. But it's me. Chill out. And then they were willing to take him into the boat. And as soon as he gets in the boat, immediately the boat reaches the shore where they were heading. So, I mean, two, like, wow, really creepy things happen at once. So, in the middle of the lake, he shows up walking. He gets in the boat. Boom. They're where they're supposed to be. It's like, Wow. This is pretty cool, okay? Uh, Now, the next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. So they knew, they saw Jesus send them. He had no boat. They figured he's going to be stuck there with them. They get up the next day, he's gone. Well, where'd he go? He didn't get in a boat. We used to all have our boats. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread, which the Lord had given thanks for. He'd fed all these people. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor the disciples were there, then they got into the boats and they went to Capernaum and searched for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they said, Rabbi, when did you get here? (laughs) And more accurately, how did you get here? You know, man, we're looking for you. We love you. This is, I mean, they're excited. They're following him. They're going all out of their way to follow Jesus. But not because they believe in Jesus for his message. They're there for one reason, food. And Jesus knew it. And Jesus answered, he says, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed. He didn't care about the miracles. He didn't care about the power of God. But because you ate the loaves and had your fill. That's the only reason you're here. You want more food. And Jesus starts to tell them, look, you have got to believe in me. That's what this is about. You need to believe in me. So then at verse, uh, uh, where are we, 30, so they asked him, well, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Do some miracle. And then they make this suggestion. You know, our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. They're back to the food. Okay? So he said, you need to believe in me. He said, well, do a miracle, you know. know, A sandwich would be awesome. You know. (laughs) 
little lettuce and tomato, you know, it'd be fabulous. We'd really love this. And he's thinking, oh, you nitwits. And then he says, truly, I tell you, it is, it is not Moses who has given you bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He's talking about himself. But still, they're still thinking sandwiches. So they say, well, sir, always give us this bread. <laughs> and then finally he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And then Jesus gets really tough with them. And he says this. He says, truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Now, we see this, and we think of communion and what this means, and it all makes sense to us. This made no sense to these people. He's talking about eating flesh and drinking blood, and it's grossing them out. Okay? Now, at some level, though, they understood what he was trying to say is total commitment and identification with me. I don't think they really thought he was turning, trying to turn them into cannibals. Okay? Or they would have said it. You know, you're crazy. You want us to eat you? You're that wasn't. They knew right away. Because the Bible says when they heard this, they said, whoa. Whoa, that's tough. That's tough. Because they knew what he was saying. Because he's in their face. Because you're just here for the sandwiches. Listen, unless you totally identify with me. Again, it's just another place where in the Gospels, Jesus said, look, the only way you get this is total commitment. And the Bible says in verse 66, he says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. The rock star days were over at this point because they, they couldn't handle this. You know, as long as you're feeding us, great. As long as you're telling us nice stories, great. As long as you're, you know, healing sick people, okay, that's cool. But whoa, 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 total, total identification. No, no, I, we, that's, that's too far. And we have that same problem to this day. People will come to church because they like the church. They like the music. They like some identification with God in their lives. Maybe they like the programs for the kids and stuff like that. But truly surrendering everything to Jesus in their heart. Whoa, don't want to go there. And they never really experience salvation like they should. And they really fall short of the Christian experience. So everybody's leaving and Jesus turns around to his disciples and says, You guys want to leave too? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. So they go on. Then we read in the ninth chapter, he says, As they went along, he saw a man blind from birth. So they stand in front of this blind guy. And his disciples said, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? In other words, why did this happen? Why did this happen? Often when things go bad, we want to know why things go wrong. And sometimes there's reasons for it. Sometimes God's just trying to get your attention. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons. But a lot of times, it's not really that anybody did anything wrong along those lines. It's just that God is creating an opportunity for a miracle, which is what Jesus said. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, 
But this happens so that the works of God may be displayed in him. And let me encourage you, when you have things that go wrong in your life, don't let panic, freaking out, crying, belly aching, and all everything else under the sun be your first response. We need to be people of faith. We need to realize that when we get a lousy thing happening, this is an opportunity for God to show up in your life. See, everybody wants a miracle, right? Everybody, everybody wants a miracle. I want a miracle. I want to see a miracle. But yeah, but the bad thing is you've got to need a miracle before you get a miracle. And most of us don't want to need a miracle. We get mad when we need a miracle. Who is God? Why is this happening to me? Hello? This is a chance for you to experience God. It's like everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. You know? If you want miracles, you're going to need God. Jesus didn't show up and just start floating things around like some Jedi warrior. You know, oh, let's believe in Jesus. He showed up when there was real need. People were hurting. There were opportunities. In fact, Jesus goes on and says, says, look, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no man can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. He's basically saying, look, we need to take opportunity, every opportunity we have. And he says, when I see something like this, it's an opportunity for God to do something cool in this person's life. Don't get just discouraged or angry or crying or freaking out when all of a sudden something bad goes your way, you know? I mean, something, and because when you do that, then you, then you wall off God doing in your life. Well, I lost my job. Well, how do you know but what God isn't going to give you a better job? Well, I don't believe that. Well, that's why your life sucks, you know? <laughs> I mean, it is, you know? Every time you say, oh, this is terrible, it's horrible. All right, go with that. You know, be warm and filled. How about when something goes wrong, we say, you know, maybe God is giving an opportunity for something cooler to happen. And I got to be honest with you. If I would have gotten everything I wanted in life when I wanted it, I'd never be, I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have experienced the things that I experienced. I wouldn't have the faith that I have today. The reason I have the faith that I have today is because we went through things I didn't want to go through. We experienced things I didn't want to experience. I'm here because wherever I went somewhere else, something didn't work for me. You know, and God starts pointing you in directions and stuff like that. And if you have an open heart and you're looking for God and you're looking for the hand of God, the blessings of God, instead of just, woe is me, something's wrong. Like Eeyore. Oh, bother. Oh, bother. It's like the weather today, you know. The good news is it's 75, but at least it's going to be rainy and miserable. You know. Wisconsin, we can't have too much good weather on one day. We might all stroke out, you know. So it'll be warm, but at least it'll be miserable. So just relax. All right. So anyway, so they're talking in front of this guy. I don't know what this guy's thinking. He's probably thinking like, hello, I'm right here. But anyway, they're not talking to him. They're talking about him. So then after saying this, I have to remember, we're going to find the context in a minute. This is the Sabbath again. We'll see this in a minute. And he knows the Pharisees are around, and they get ticked off when they do anything on the Sabbath. So you can't do things. You can't make things. You can't, you know. So Jesus looks at this guy, and obviously all he has to do is say, be healed, and he'll be healed. 
He did it all the time. But now he wants to mess with their heads. So he spits on the ground. Uh, so where's this at? Da -da 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 -da. Verse 6. After saying this, he spit on the ground and he made mud out of the spit. And, and he put it on the guy's eyes. Now, I don't know what the guy is thinking because he's not talking to the guy. The guy didn't even say, please pray for him. He doesn't even know who this Jesus guy is. He knows his name. That's all he knows. Didn't know what he's about. All of a sudden, some guy comes and says, just putting mud on his eyes. And Jesus says, you know, you might want to go wash that off. Which is what he does. He spits, he makes mud out of the spit, sticks it all over the guy's eyes, and he says, go and wash it off in the pool of Silo. So the guy went, and he washed, and miraculously, for the first time in his life, remember the Bible says he was born blind. All he thinks, <laughs> you know, maybe he's ticked off. The guy, what a mean guy. You know, he's probably used to people being mean to him all his life. Guy puts mud on my eyes. I got mud in my eyes. Big poopy head puts mud in my eyes. What is this? And he washes it off. And then he looks, and all of a sudden he can see. Wow. This, this is cool. All right, so he's jazzed. He's up. I can see. I can see. Now, his neighbors and all the other people who knew him from begging and stuff like that said, Wow, isn't, isn't this the same guy who used to sit and beg? And some claimed that it was. And others said, no, it just looks like him. And he said, no, I'm the guy. And they said, well, then how were your eyes open? And he says, well, this, this guy called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes and told me to go wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. And he said, well, where is this man? He said, I don't know. Because here again, Jesus, he shows up, he does the mud, he heals this guy, and they go hide in the crowd just to freak people's heads out, you know. So he's probably over giggling somewhere. So this guy is, I, I don't know, you know, where, where he is. So they brought him to the, brought to the Pharisees, because the Pharisees were there. And this is, these are the people Jesus really wants to tick off. The man who had been blind. Now, on the day which Jesus had made the mud... And open the man's eyes was a Sabbath. No, no, no. You can't make mud on the Sabbath. You can't do anything on the Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said, well, he put mud in my eyes. And I washed, and now I see. And the Pharisees, who were just they're so ticked off, said, this man is not from God. Talking about Jesus. Because he does not keep the Sabbath. Now look at these religious pinheads. Here is a guy. First time in his life he can see. And instead of going, holy stinking cow, he can see. All they get mad is he made mud on the Sabbath. That's stupid. And, and, and people like that to this day. Have you ever, have you had, some of you have had this experience where you came to God in your life. And God changes your life. And you start to experience faith for the first time. But then you have family or friends or somebody who are just ticked at you because you did it in a different church. Amen. Right? You did that celebration church, that cult up there, you know, they, that cult, they, you know, they eat squirrels up there. That's what they do. They do. They, they, you'll never see a squirrel around that church anywhere. They take them and they, they eat them after every Sunday service. It's just horrible what they do up there. So rather than celebrating that your life has been changed and all of a sudden you're a different person and now you want to know about God and all they stay concerned about is you didn't do it in our church. 
And they're just religious pinheads, these people. And they don't get it. They don't see what God is doing. All they see is you didn't do it the way we want you to do it. And that's where these Pharisees were. So they said, this man is not from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. And then others said, well, wait a minute. How, how can a sinner perform such a sign? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say? It was your eyes he opened. And the guy goes, yeah, he's, he's a prophet. And they still not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. <laughs> Idiots. So, so they say to the parents, is this your son? Is this the one you say was born blind? Oh yeah, now we're into the conspiracy. See, he faked this for the last 30 years of his life, being blind from birth. Shh, don't tell anybody. Good grief. Yeah, that was our plan all along. Is this the one you say was born blind? Where am I? <laughs> what number? 19. There we go. I don't know why you people come here. Okay, so how is it that he can now see? And they said, well, we know he's our son. The parents answered, and we know he was born blind. How he can see or who opened his eyes, we have no idea. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. So a second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. He said, look, give glory to God by telling the truth. This man, this Jesus guy, he's a sinner. And the guy says, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Oh, yes. Yes, this is the ultimate, ultimate case for standing firm in your faith. People will come to you and try and reason with you and try and get in your head. And you know, well, what about this? And what about that? And how do you know there's really a God? And how do you know, you know, that, you know, there's Bibles full of contradictions? Of course, they've never read the Bible. But they all know about the contradictions. You know, and this and that. And, and, you know, and sometimes people get all freaked out when people come at them like, look. You don't have to answer these people to these. All you got to know is say, look, I don't know. All I know is I was blind, but now I see. I was walking around with death inside of me, but now I have life in me. I was full of darkness, and now I have light. I was bummed out, now I got joy. I was miserable, and now I'm happy. It's wonderful. I can't answer all your stupid questions. I don't know. All I know is I was blind, but now I see. It is the ultimate, ultimate stand for the Christian faith. Which, by the way, is why it's so important for you parents to make sure you give kids opportunities and encourage their faith so that they experience God in their lives. If you just teach them about Jesus, this will not last. Because eventually they'll wind up in some school class sometimes, some universities have some pinheaded philosophy professor going, you know, you know, the Bible's full of contradictions. And how do we know God really exists because, you know, can God make a rock so big that he can't pick it up, you know, or just all stupid things, you know. And, and, and if you just have only dealt with here, this is why so many kids, by the time they come through college, they don't even believe in Jesus anymore. Why? Because as parents, all we did was try to get it in here. But when you 
experience God with your kids. When you pray with your kids, when they have troubles and you pray together and they see God turn circumstances around in their lives, answer their prayers, where they get in situations where they can actually experience Jesus. Now, now this sticks. Why? Because at the end of the day, they'll answer like this guy, you know, I don't know. All I know is I was blind, but now I see. See, the person with the experience is never at the mercy with the person with an argument. When you know that you know, you know. You can't always explain it, but you know. I love that. I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him again, well, what did he do to you? How did he open his eyes? What's with the mud? What kind of mud is this? And he says, I've told you already, and you didn't listen. Do you want to become, you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? And they hurled insults at him. He said, you're this fellow's disciple. We're disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And the guy says, well, now that's remarkable. You don't know where he came from. But he opened my eyes. We know God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has even heard of anybody opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So this guy starts preaching at these Pharisees. Well, now they get really ticked. And they say, you are steeped in birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Then when Jesus had heard that they threw him out, and uh, he found him and said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the guy says, who is he? Tell me so I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you've seen him. You have now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. In other words, I am the Son of Man. And he says, Lord, I believe and he worshiped him. Again, as you read through the Gospel of John, it's hard not to laugh at some of this stuff. It seems very comical to me how Jesus intentionally messed with people's heads and did things in a way that just confused them. He didn't need to use mud. He just put mud in the equation to mess with their heads. You know, did it on a Sabbath when he could have waited till the next day, but he didn't. He wanted to do it today just to mess with their heads. You know, people think, you know, Jesus was so struggling so hard trying to make everything clear. to He didn't do that. If anything, he messed with their heads. The parables. He spoke in parables. You know this? People sometimes, everyone's all here, preachers say, you know, Jesus spoke in parables because stories are the best way to communicate truth. No, he spoke in parables because he didn't want them to know what he's talking about. In fact, he even says this. It wasn't until he came to his disciples who later came and said to him, well, this is what it means. People didn't know what Jesus was talking about. He'd tell these stories and they go, what's he talking about? I don't know what he's talking about. He makes a great sandwich, so, you know, I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> then when he finally makes it really clear what he's talking to them, they go, whoa. And they backed off and they left. The reason why Jesus was in, and by the way, you know, I've, we've all done this at some time. I've done this. Pe- preachers have done this. I'm just trying to get us back to the Gospels, you know. There's been this thing where people are desperate. Oh, please believe in Jesus. Oh, if you just come to Jesus, you need to come right now because you need to do it right now. And just everything. If you just pray this one little prayer. And it'll, it'll... Jesus never did that. The disciples never did that. The apostles never did. You don't see that anywhere in the Bible. It is not our calling to go out and beg and plead with people. You know, please believe along with me so I'm not the only one. 
These guys, now they persuaded people, but they told the truth. And they left it up to God. The reason why they didn't do this and the reason why Jesus didn't do that is because Jesus knew that real faith does not start here. It starts here. And he said, unless my father draws them, they'll never find me anyway. When you run into people, you know, people often say, well, pastor, what can I say to my brother? What can I say to my mom? And, and oh, could you get, I, I'm trying to answer this question. I got this professor. If I, what can I say so that they'll believe in Jesus? The answer, nothing. There's nothing you can say to anybody who's trying to come with their heads. But when people come with their hearts and they really want to experience God, now you can speak into that. So what I'm concerned about, my friends, is I'll tell you what you need to do. Rather than trying to pray for answers for their heads, pray that God would deal with their hearts. We need to pray. I'll tell you, if we'd really start to pray for our community and say, God, start to speak to the people in my life. Speak to their hearts. Draw people to, their, to yourself. That's when we'll see a dramatic change in the lives of the people around us. When God starts answering our prayers and starts really pulling here instead of dealing with people here. Because you can't get that through your head. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness, your mercies, and your grace to us. Thank you for calling us to yourself, drawing us to you. Lord, we know that faith can only experience when we come with open hearts, with a desire to know you. We pray, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit upon everybody sitting here, on our friends, our family, our community. Lord, our nation, we pray for a move of God that would start to pull upon people's hearts, that people would start to let go of their sin and start to want to reach out to the living God and experience you. We ask you for miracles from the heart so we can start to see real miracles in people's lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite our ushers if they would come as we prepare for communion this morning and as our worship team returns back to the stage. In a few moments, we will be joining together as a family in partaking of communion, uh, representing and being reminded of what Jesus did for us on the cross when he died. As we make room for God in our lives, as we prepare our lives for giving God that room and looking ahead towards two weeks when we celebrate Easter on that Sunday morning. But did you know that every single time we gather on a Sunday, we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus? We're celebrating what he did on that cross when he suffered and died and rose again on the third day. And so this morning too, we can celebrate that and we will as we partake of communion in just a moment. But I do, I, this is a... Wonderful time of the year. For many people, they look around and they think, well, you know, it's wonderful when we have a time of remembering the birth of Jesus at Christmas. But for those of us that have been touched and have experienced God, have allowed our hearts to be touched by God, the Easter season and this time of year is a time like no other. Being reminded of what Jesus did and what Jesus is continuing to do. Pastor Mark was saying, as he read those verses and challenged us this morning, that Jesus intentionally messed with people's heads. Today, the Holy Spirit is at this time, this moment, looking to mess with your heart. 
for some of you, it may be the very first time you're sitting there and you, whether it's during the worship, during the word as it was preached or prayer time. And there's been kind of a challenge and saying, I, there's, there's something happening inside. I'm, I'm, my heart is being touched. My heart is being nudged. My, I'm, I'm, my heart is being convicted. The word of God calls it that. Convicted. Jesus said that he would send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit would convict us of guilt towards sin. And there are those that are being convicted this morning, convicted in their heart. Not just a head knowledge, not just a knowledge of God, not just a not believing in Him, but an impact of the heart, a supernatural touch that God is wanting to deal with that sin in your life and in your heart. In a few moments, I'm going to invite all of us to pray a very simple prayer. Very simple prayer, an opportunity for you to allow that conviction that the Holy Spirit is convicting you of right now. That conviction becomes repentance. Repentance becomes forgiveness. And we can experience God. You can experience God the beginning, the starting place in your walk with God this morning. So would you bow your heads with me? I'm going to invite you to pray this very simple prayer with me. Again, it's not about the prayer. It's not just the words that are being spoken. It's not all about just you repeating these these words. Because it's not just something that we just do and out of the, off the top of our, our heads. Because it's when God now is touching our hearts and saying, Lathan, you're needing forgiveness. You need Jesus. You need salvation. And it's beginning that process in our lives. So I'm going to invite all of you just to repeat these words after me. Would you repeat the words, Dear Lord Jesus, something in my heart tells me I need you. I now confess my sin. I repent of my sin. And by faith, ask you to come into my life as my Savior and as my Lord. And I thank you for doing that. Amen.